This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Matt, two cards this week. We have Steve Bedrosian, pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, card number 440. And Steve Bedrosian, National League All-Star, card number 407. Fantastic. Well, this is a name that has come up so many times in the course of this series and has been requested multiple times. We will get to Steve Bedrosian in just a moment, but first we do have follow-up from previous episodes. Matt, our last episode where we talked about Chris Sabo, I put this up top that people were already mad before we had done the episode. (laughs) about this cork incident and almost immediately upon posting it people just said yeah and he corked his bat just (laughs) so so much cork rage Uh, but a couple points that i wanted to follow up on one we talked about him getting that job at mcdonald's and we both kind of went like what was he doing getting this job at mcdonald's thinking that he was already kind of an established player at that time it turns out, I found in another article, that at the time, Sabo was in the Instructional League. He made $183 every two weeks at that point. Okay. And when you got your Ford Escort car payment, yes, you know that's going to eat up a lot of it. That $183 is the equivalent of approximately $250 a week in 2021 dollars. Sabo famously once said, I'd play for free. And as we know, with the minor leagues... And the minor league system, even to this day, they will take you up on that offer. <laughs> yeah, at uh, at twelve grand a year, it comes out to it's it's just not not a lot to pay the bills. We also saw this question, David: Is he still driving the nineteen eighty two Ford Escort? A very Chris Sabo story that I left out of the Sabo episode. He gave that car to a dealer in the early nineties. That dealer refurbished the 1982 Ford Escort and gave it to a soldier who was returning from the Gulf War. So a very nice gesture from Chris Sabo. But by 1991-92, Sabo was making more than enough money to get a newer model of Ford Escort. But so he's not driving it currently. Maybe somebody is. I, I mean, if I had Chris Sabo's 1982 Ford Escort, that should be in a museum. Excellent. Well, we will look out for it on the roadways David, one thing that we forgot to mention during the Chris Sabo episode was how Chris Sabo figured into Grandma's Reds scorebook, a fantastic artifact from this time in baseball history. Matt, Grandma's Reds scorebook, at Scorebook on Twitter, is one of my favorite follows on Twitter. This Twitter account chronicles Minnie Lee Olgus's hand-scored Reds scorecards. She did every game basically from 1973 to 1991 by hand in this notebook. Other big games like World Series and All-Star games, she scored by hand listening to them on the radio. Her grandson Mike has collected her work and is digitizing all of these scorecards. So I suggest that folks go check it out. There's an article in the Sporting News as well uh, about Minnie Lee. And her great life story, along with the story of this scorebook. And so I've reached out to Mike in the past and said, 
if we have another red player come up, I'm going to ask if Minnie Lee had any thoughts about him because she would write down little things like about her favorite players. She would note first games, milestones, and Mike shared a couple scorecards from Sabo's career, including Minnie Lee's write-up of Chris Sabo's first game. Because she's listening to it on the radio, you see her trying to figure out how to spell different names, too, because she's hearing them before they're in the newspaper. It's really an amazing set of scorecards. And Minnie Lee Olgus passed away in 1996 at the age of 90, but her grandson Mike is really doing some amazing work, putting a lot of love uh, into this project for his grandmother, and she put so much love into baseball and her Reds, her boys. She treats it like family. Seeing the way that she writes about these players, it's like she knows them, but she was just listening to the radio and listening to the radio broadcast. So it's really something that is uh, heartwarming and a lovely tribute that Mike is doing for his grandmother. So I suggest that people go check that out. RIP and thank you, Minnie Lee, to what you left behind. It was a golden age of baseball on the radio and the perfect medium for the sport. So thank you for, for sharing that. Now we're on to Steve Bedrosian. And David, these were suggested by multiple listeners. 1987 was a strange season for a lot of players. And Steve Bedrosian was one of those players who had an odd year. Clearly, it was a big year for Steve because he got two cards in the set, and we got two suggestions for these cards. The first was from Mike F., listener who emailed in. Mike suggested Bedrosian because he was included in RBI Baseball. He always found it odd that Bedrosian was a sidearm pitcher in the game, but wasn't really a sidearm pitcher in real life. So we'll get into that with Brian in the RBI corner. The other suggestion was from at Scotty Borgata on Twitter, and Scott said... The first pack that I ever bought with my own money was a 1988 Topps pack. I was so stoked to pull a Philly, Steve Bedrosian. I took it everywhere with me, even into the pool at the YMCA. (laughs) He says he still has it, so I would like to see this card. Scott, if you can send us a picture. He said it's still his favorite card, and uh, he was waiting patiently for us to cover Steve on the podcast. So thank you very much to Mike F. and Scott. Fantastic. Well, let's look at the front of that card 440. Mine looks better than one that was pulled out of the bottom of a YMCA pool. (laughs) Very good. And as we look at it, we've got a great, great card, a great action shot. You've got Steve Bedrosian about to deliver. He's in the pinstripe Phillies home uniform. So white with red pinstripes all the way from top to bottom. Got the red stirrups also looking great. And a nice full beard. It's looking very lean. This is a, a very athletic look. We've had some different sized guys, but Steve is tall. I think he's 6'3". He looks like a, like a real athlete here. And from his background, he participated in a lot of different sports. He also, he just looks like a, he looks like a lot of guys these days. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a guy height, got a guy beard. <laughs> You know, a beard, a little bit of messy hair. Yeah. Wearing a baseball cap. Looks like a lot of guys in my neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Same here. Flipping to the back, as you mentioned, Steve Bedrosian, six foot three, 205, right handed batter and thrower, drafted by the Braves in the third round in 1978. Born December 6, 1957, in Methuen, Massachusetts, with a home in Duluth, Georgia. 
Methuen, Massachusetts is on the New Hampshire-Massachusetts border in the Merrimack Valley. Also, Massachusettsians, please correct my pronunciation of Methuen. That town was founded in the 1600s, and Steve's last name is of Armenian heritage. In the early 1900s, the Merrimack Valley in Massachusetts received many refugees of the Armenian Genocide. The Armenian Genocide resulted in 1.5 million Armenian people being killed by the Turkish Ottoman Empire beginning in 1915. Another million Armenians were displaced or became refugees, including many who ended up in the Merrimack Valley of Massachusetts. I was interested in whether Steve's family were victims of the genocide and came over at that time, and how they ended up in Massachusetts. And while I didn't find anything specifically with Steve talking about it, I found a cousin who's a musician, Danny Bedrosian. His father is Steve's cousin, and he's very proud of his cousin, the great pitcher, Steve Bedrosian. And he said that family members died in the genocide, including, I believe, Steve's great-grandfather. But Steve's grandfather, Yezhia Bedrosian, had already come to the United States prior to the genocide to work in the mills in New England. He was also involved in helping orphans and refugees once they started coming over from uh, Armenia during the genocide. And he also raised money to send back to his family in the old country from Massachusetts. So Yezhia was Steve's grandfather and would have been Danny Bedrosian's great-grandfather. Interesting note here, part of the reason why Danny Bedrosian is noteworthy, he plays keyboards with George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. Yes. And he has been with the band for nearly 20 years. He also plays other music on the side, but he tours with George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. So, of course, the 1988 Tops podcast just connected Parliament Funkadelic and Steve Bedrosian. I, listeners would expect nothing less. Yeah, I would love to see a, a P-Funk all-star card for this Bedrosian or any Bedrosian. I look forward to that. I would welcome that greatly. David, there have been a lot of Armenian-American sports people. And Steve was included on a pretty high on a list of noteworthy Armenian-American sports people um, that I found. Jerry Tarkanian, Andre Agassi, Ara Parshagin, who is the Notre Dame coach, Yaro Yepremian. We are going to get so many pronunciation notes. <laughs> Yaro Yepremian, who was the kicker for the Miami Dolphins in the 1970s. Aleko Eskandarian played in MLS, as well as Tim Kirkjian. Not necessarily an athlete, but important in the baseball world. But Steve Bedrosian is one of only a few Armenian-American baseball players. Chuck Asegian, who was one of only two people who have played in a Rose Bowl and a World Series. And Steve's son, Cam Bedrosian, who currently plays for the Phillies. And then recently, James Caprellian. That just was a difficult stretch for me there to read. <laughs> so Steve ends up on the short list of great Armenian American sports people. He got his start playing multiple sports in Methuen. He played baseball, soccer, and wrestled in high school. And a lot of this information, as usual, comes from the Sabre bio. This time it was written by Wynne Montgomery. I did get a note recently from Mark Simon who told me that he preferred episodes where there is no Sabre bio. <laughs> I disagree. 
because it it does a lot of the work for me. But thank you, Mark, for that note. So so Steve was quite the athlete growing up. He was so renowned for his athletic abilities that he was named athlete of the 20th century by a area local paper in Massachusetts. Except he wasn't drafted out of high school. He went to North Essex Community College. Then he transferred to the University of New Haven, a Division II school. And as much as we like scout names around here, college baseball coach names are pretty great too. He played for head coach Frank Porky Vieira, (laughs) who founded the New Haven baseball program in 1962, then went on to win 1,127 games over the next 44 seasons. He sent 75 players to the pros from this Division II school, 10 of whom made it all the way to Major League Baseball. While at the University of New Haven, Steve went 13-3 and with three saves to help his team go uh, make it to the Division II College World Series, where they finished third. After that season, Steve was Division II first-team All-American, and got picked in the third round by Atlanta. Pretty good for a Division II pitcher. Did he start out as a starter or a reliever? In college, he did a little bit of both. In the minors, he was specifically a starter. In 1978, he had 14 starts between rookie ball and A-level, going 7-3 and three with a 2.52 ERA. And then in 79 and 80, he was in AA and started 42 games over those two seasons. Well, that leads to the fun fact that he led the Southern League with 161 strikeouts in 1980. And he had over 200 innings pitched and went 14-10 and 10 that season. Got a call up to AAA in 81. Again, still a starter, 26 starts, 2.69 ERA at AAA. And in August of that year, he got his shot in the pros. This is the first line on the card in 1981. He pitched in 16 games and 24 innings, so mostly in relief, short appearances. He only had one start, which is a loss, but ended the season with a 1-2 and two record and a 4.5 ERA. At this point, his future was pretty bright. He was in the big leagues to stay. By 1982, he's one of the team's top prospects. He also had a couple good nicknames at this point. Kid Smoke, sort of like huh. Senior Smoke, but he was a really hard thrower, throwing upwards of 95 miles per hour, but also Bedrock, which became the nickname that he was known for. Bedrock Bedrosian. It's a good name. Yeah, it sounds like the last name. It's also easier to say than the last name. So you can see why it's a nickname that is going to stick around. And Steve sticks around. 1982, big year for Atlanta. They won 89 games and the NL West. That team had a couple guys that we've talked about thus far. 43-year-old Phil Necro, Jerry Royster, and Pasquale Perez. And it was suggested that Steve could be in the starting rotation in 1982. He ends up getting a couple starts, but Bob Gibson, who was the Braves pitching coach, explained that Bedrosian was better suited for his relief role because starting, quote, gave him too much time to think. (laughs) I'm not sure what that means. I don't know either. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but Steve had a really good season in 1982, a 2.42 ERA over 137 innings. So he was getting a lot of work out of the bullpen, a 1.155 whip. His 4.2 wins above replacement was second on the team only to MVP Dale Murphy. And that was ninth in the National League in pitching war. Pretty good for a rookie reliever. He gets some rookie of the year votes and was the Sporting News Rookie Pitcher of the Year. 
That season, the Braves in the playoffs, it was pretty disappointing. But Drosian did appear in two games versus the Cardinals, but the Braves were swept. He came into game one in relief of Pascual Perez, down 2 nothing with two men on base. And when he left after an inning, the inherited runners scored and he gave up two more. So a rough go to start his playoff career. But going into 1983, he's more than a prospect. He is a solid contributor on the team. He earns a big raise from $37,000 to $155,000 in 1983. Good job. And he also earned the closer role. But this season was a tale of two halves. He was really good in the first half of the season with 15 saves and a 2.79 ERA up to July 18th. But after July 18th, he only saved four more games and blew five of them. So his ERA was up closer to five that second half. He was overworked. He had 70 appearances in 1983, 64 the year before, 250 relief innings over 1982 and 83, and he was just tired out. He did get a start late in the season, going seven innings in a game that Atlanta lost. By 1984, Atlanta had some more arms in the bullpen. Steve's workload was cut down a little bit, and he was very effective early in the season. Through his first 19 games, he was 4-1 and one with eight saves and a .54 ERA. Kind of same story, though, that second half. He, gets, he has four bad outings in a row, blows a couple saves, takes losses, and... He had had a very good season up to then. Atlanta even thought of putting him in the starting rotation. But after four games starting, injury issues creep up and they shut him down starting in August. So he ends the season 9-6 and six with 2.37 ERA and 11 saves, showing promise, but can't get a full season of work in. Unfortunately, in 1985, he did get a full season of work in, but it didn't go well. Atlanta has a new manager, a new pitching coach. They signed Bruce Suter in the offseason to be the closer. And Steve's put in the starting rotation. And that was his only season in a starting rotation for good reason. It didn't go great. He went 7-15 and with a 3.83 ERA in 206 innings. His ERA was right around league average. But this was a really bad team. They were 66-96. and They scored the fourth fewest runs in the majors. They averaged 3.9 runs per game, which is just over Bedrosian's ERA. But they also had the second most errors in Major League Baseball. So just a rough go of it. That same season, Pascual Perez went 1-13. So Steve wasn't alone in having a losing record. But that season also earned him a distinction. And an odd fun fact from another card from the 1988 scorecard. It's a very strange fun fact. When I saw it on my other podcast, the 1988 Score podcast, it really kind of confused me. And the fun fact was one season as a full-time starter in 1985 was a disaster, as Steve set a major league record for futility. Most starts in a single season without a complete game, 37. That's such a 1980s diss track fun fact Because no one starts 37 games anymore at all. No one has a complete game ever. And certainly, if you're going to pitch in 37 games, no one's expecting you to go all nine innings. And yeah, it's kind of rude, especially for a guy who, at this point, had not started a full season in his career. He went seven innings in a bunch of games. He pitched well in a lot of games. But then he was pulled. And I don't know know if they were doing pitch counts at this point 
in Atlanta. Maybe they were because they had a guy who was a converted closer. But his season looks pretty normal by today's standards. But in 1988, it was an anomaly. And it's a record that still stands. The most games started without a complete game. 37. But And maybe it'll never be broken. Quite a record-setting season for Bedrosian. Yeah, it's not really his fault. He's, he played for a really bad team. He he was he pitched fine, but sorry, Steve. So at the end of that season in December, the Braves decide to make a move, and that leads to the This Way to the Clubhouse, where Steve Bedrosian was traded by the Braves to the Phillies with Milt Thompson for Ozzie Virgil and Pete Smith, December 10th, 1985. Pete Smith was a first-round pick in A ball at the time, a young pitcher who would go on to play seven seasons in Atlanta, Ozzie Virgil, I'll refer listeners back to the Ozzie Virgil episode, was an all-star catcher who would play well in 1986, make an all-star game in 1987, and then fall off. The Phillies saw Bedrosian as a full-time closer, joining a bullpen that had Kent Tocolvie and Don Carmen, and Bedrosian started 1986 slow, He had a sore arm in spring training, and then in the first month of the season, I don't know if you knew this, Matt, but Philadelphia fans are, um, they're patient and kind. (laughs) Calm and genteel is how I always think of Philly fans. Yeah, Steve bore the brunt of some Philly fan frustration, which is a good tongue twister. He had a 7.27 ERA. Opponents hit 351 in that first month that he was in Philadelphia, and he got booed a lot. But he settled down, and over the next four months had a 2.28 ERA and 49 appearances. He fell off a bit in September, but ended up with a respectable 29 saves, which was good for fifth in the National League. So a big turnaround from his earlier years with the Braves, where he would fall off at the end of the season, this one he picks things up at the set at the end of the season. And this is a prelude to his fantastic 1987 season, which is obviously the bottom row on this card. And that will lead to him getting a second card as an all-star that 1987 season. Again, he starts slow. He didn't get his first save until the eighth game of the season and had a really high ERA at the beginning But turned it around starting in May. May 10th, he started a streak in which he earned 19 saves in 20 appearances. And I think that that takes us to our All-Star card because that streak ran right up to the All-Star break and included a major league record, which is referenced on the back of this All-Star card. Yes. So when we look at card 407, on the front, we have the familiar bright yellow backing and Steve Bedrosian in full beard. That lumpy hat, too. What's going on yeah, with that? <laughs> looks like someone sat on it. And when we flip to the back, it is Steve Bedrosian and the 1987 National League leaders in saves. Bedrosian's at the top of the list with 40. And this is also a sign of the times that in that top 10, you have a guy with 16 saves. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, almost every team has somebody with 25 saves, even if the team only has 60 wins. The fun fact on the back of this all-star card that Steve Bedrosian set a major league record with save in 13th consecutive appearance, 6-30-1987. And in 1987, he became only the fifth reliever ever to notch 40 saves in one season. Yeah, again, a sign of the times, David, because that's nowadays there are many, many pitchers that will hit 40 saves in a single season. 
Yes, this has happened 172 times. But at the time that Steve did it, he was only the fifth reliever. Quisenberry had done it twice at this point. Of those pitchers, those 172 pitchers, Bedrosian's season was somewhere in the middle in terms of wins above replacement. First on that list, and as far as war goes, Dan Quisenberry in 1983 with 5.5 wins above replacement. Another reason why Quiz is a favorite around here. By the all-star break of 87, Bedrosian is cruising. He's got a 3-2 and two record, 24 saves already with a 2.77 ERA, and involved in 27 of the Phillies' 42 wins. A, a fun fact that I found in an article around that time that was talking about Bedrosian setting that record with 13 consecutive saves, July 1st, 1987, Steve wasn't one to show much emotion on the mound he you know was able to shrug off some of the booze but this article said he shows emotion when it comes to the celtics (laughs) and in this article he is wearing a quote i hate la celtics t-shirt under his uniform and i looked back and that was would have been just a couple weeks after the lakers beat the celtics in the nba finals but uh steve big celtics fan and a record-setting performance in 1987 also had a, a big performance in the 1987 All-Star Game, something that I think we also referenced in the Ozzy Virgil episode. He enters a scoreless game in the bottom of the ninth and gives up two walks, putting the winning run on second base. And now we're going to listen to a clip because I'd rather have you listen to Vin Scully and Joe Garagiola than have me repeat the action. One out in the ninth. Fastball hit wide at first. Keith goes down to shortstop. The throw to Bedrosian, no good. Winfield to the plate. The throw to the plate. He is out at the plate to Virgil. 3-6-1-2, and quite a play by Bedrosian. Yes, it was. He was late in covering first base, and it looked like the throw was going to get by him. They still tried for the double play, a very daring play, maybe not a smart play, but Bedrosian, the diving catch. Now watch, he's very late in covering. Brooks's throw is into the outfit. Look at Bedrosian, a diving catch to save it. And now he looks around and he sees Winfield coming, and Virgil becomes a dead end. He stops him. He's just going to go head and head. Look at that. What a catch by Bedrosian. Otherwise, that's a wild throw, and the winning run walks in. And at the end of nine, we are where we started. No the score. National League ended up winning the game 2-0 in 13 innings. And this shows another sign of the times here, how much people cared about the All-Star game. (laughs) Bedrosian diving for this ball, showing Jack Lazorko-esque quickness. And Ozzie Virgil standing his ground as a six-foot-five Dave Winfield comes barreling toward him. Really impressive play, and you have guys who are on both sides of that Virgil for Bedrosian trade uh, combining to get that out. Yeah, very much uh, something that you would not see today uh, in an all-star game. And David, we get now to the most controversial part of the Steve Bedrosian episode, and that is wrapping up the 87 season. Steve wins the Cy Young Award. This NBC Sports article from says it best, how in the world did Steve Bedrosian win a Cy Young? (laughs) 
I just heard this discussed on the Effectively Wild podcast that in 1987, the Big Four awards, so both MVPs and Cy Youngs in both leagues, all came from teams that missed the playoffs. And as we're sitting here in 2021, this could happen this year, but the last time it happened was 1987. So you have George Bell winning the AL MVP, Andre Dawson winning the NL MVP, Roger Clemens winning the AL Cy Young, and, huh, Steve Bedrosian. <laughs> the Phillies were 80 and 82. Bedrosian led the National League with 40 saves, but really is that Cy Young material? We talked about this in the Dennis Eckersley episode with his 1992 season. That might have been more of a lifetime achievement award for Eck. Bedrosian didn't have that kind of notoriety. I think part of it is that voters didn't really know how to quantify relief pitcher value. Between 1977 and 89, six relievers won the Cy Young. And if you look back, there's some questionable decisions. In the years since, only two have won, and one of them was Eckersley. Maybe more importantly, there was just not great competition for the award in 1987. We've mentioned several times that this was the rabbit ball era that were huge home run numbers, high batting averages, and thus high ERAs. And so, yeah, no one looks that good. The division winners in the National League were the Giants and Cardinals, neither of whom had a dominant performer. The Cardinals, as we discussed in the John Tudor episode, Tudor missed half of the season, and that team had, I think, an 11-game winner as their leading pitcher. The best pitcher on the Giants was Rick Russell, who was traded to the Giants halfway through that season. And as much as we would like to have seen him win a Cy Young, he only <laughs> had 13 wins. Nolan Ryan had the best ERA in the National League, but he went 8-16, and 16, and there was no way that awards voters were going to give a Cy Young to a guy with an 8-16 and 16 record. Oral Hirschheiser and Bob Welch both had good seasons, but for a sub-500 team. And so they gave the award to the best relief pitcher. He only got 9 of 24 first-place votes. Rick Sutcliffe was second. Sutcliffe also played for a last-place team. It was really close, but Bedrosian won it. I think that the streak, that 13-save streak, helped him. In that streak, he only gave up two runs, so you're getting a little bit of press. It doesn't really make sense. He's maybe the, quote, worst winner of a Cy Young Award. But according to Steve, he said, I'm not going to say that I backed into it. I'm not looking at what starting pitchers did or didn't do this year. I'm looking at what I was able to accomplish. To his credit, he also won the Rolaids Relief Man Award, which is maybe a more suitable award for the best relief pitcher but the way that the votes shook out, the voters were split, and they couldn't find a suitable starting pitcher to give the award to. So good job, Steve. I'd say it's a, a process with about maybe similar levels of integrity and logic as the California gubernatorial recall process. But in the end, Bedrosian also wins the Philadelphia Sportsman of the Year Award, which I think earns you like a dead fish wrapped in newspaper. Or a lifetime of cheesesteaks. A lifetime supply of cheesesteaks is a better award. So, yeah, so good job, Steve. Congrats. And, hey, you know, someone's got to win. So there he goes. And that success, the biggest prize of all, David, was that it earned him a spot in RBI Baseball. And that takes us to the RBI Baseball Corner with Brian. 
And we're back in the RBI Baseball Corner. Brian, welcome back to the show. We are here to talk about Steve Bedrosian. Steve Bedrosian, he's one of the National League All-Stars. Uh, we covered the National League All-Star team recently in the Benito Santiago episode. Just as a recap, they have a ton of power, great speed, great starting pitching, and good relief pitching. The only thing that team is missing is maybe some left-handed power bats, but they have good balance in their lineup and good balance in their pitching staff with Fernando Valenzuela and uh, bearded 80s man Steve Bendrosian. The bottom line is that they're really good, but kind of cheap to use as an all-star team, so don't be that guy. <laughs> okay, we definitely won't be. How is Bedrosian as a player? Well, he's a sidearm pitcher in the game, maybe not so much in real life, so we should talk a little bit about the sidearm RBI baseball pitcher. So there's 40 pitchers total in the game. You have four per team. There's 10 teams in the game. Of the 40, you've got Saberhagen, Kerfeld, Orozco, and Bedrosian as sidearmers. Sidearmers are really dangerous in the same versus same matchup. So Steve Bedrosian's a righty going against other right-handed batters. And the reason for that is because you can just kind of hit the outside corner, and sometimes you're just off the plate, sometimes you're just on the plate, and you can keep the hitter off balance by virtue of doing this. So Bedrosian is very strong against teams that have a lot of righties in their lineup. Maybe a team like Boston, you'd want to use him against. Again, he's not a side armor in real life, but that just makes it more fun in RBI baseball. Um, there's no real rhyme or reason, as best we can tell, as to why some of these guys who aren't side armors in real life are side armors in the game. So it's best just to have fun with it. One of the challenges of Bedrosian is that while you do have the sidearm delivery, you don't have the ability for his nice Fred Ottman-like beard to be expressed <laughs> through RBI baseball as the game does not have facial hair. So you don't have that kind of Michael McDonald yacht rot look on your player. But he is a very strong player against righties. He does not throw that hard, but he throws just hard enough to keep the hitter off balance when you have to go to the fastball. So what's the bottom line? Is he, is he your go-to reliever? I'd go even one step further. He's the best reliever on the NL squad, but you might even want to start a game with him. The NL All-Star team is really good. Sometimes you can jump out on teams, score a bunch of runs early, and if you've got a guy like Bedrosian who can shut down a righty-heavy lineup and get you out to lead and potentially even have a slaughter rule victory, as RBI Baseball does have a 10-run slaughter rule, I would use Bedrosian against a righty-heavy team like Boston and actually start him, and if not against a team like that, bring him in as the first reliever off the bench. We love running up the score early here on the 1988 Tops podcast, so that sounds like a recipe for victory. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, guys. In 1988, things start out pretty tough for Steve. He has chest pains in spring training, which were diagnosed as walking pneumonia. Do you know what walking pneumonia is, Matt? I have heard the phrase, but I don't know what it means. I had to look it up. Thank you, WebMD. It is a mild lung infection. But for Steve, it was serious enough to keep him out for a few weeks. He had to go to AAA to rehab. He was out until May 20th. And he ended up getting 28 saves in 1988, having missed that portion of the season. But again, the Phillies only had 65 wins, so there were not a lot of save opportunities. Yeah, so he's getting almost half the wins he's a part of. Not bad. There were trade rumors at the end of 1988, but Steve ends up signing a three-year contract extension. 1989, again, the Phillies are pretty bad. They would go on to only win 67 games and Steve didn't really have a whole lot of opportunities early in the season. In the first 28 games, 
he only had six saves and blew three of them. And this ends up leading to the Phillies trading him in June. He leaves the Phillies as the leader in saves with 103. And that's a record that has since been broken. No big surprise. But he is traded to the Giants for Dennis Cook, Charlie Hayes, and Terry Mulholland. That trade ended up pretty good for the Phillies. Terry Mulholland would have a pretty good stretch with Philadelphia, including an all-star appearance and helping the Phillies get to the World Series in 93. The Giants thought that they could use Steve Bedrosian as their starting closer, and he ends up getting 17 saves to help the Giants win the NL West. He gets another chance to play in the playoffs and gets three saves in the NLCS, including recording the final out to beat the Cubs to go on to the World Series. Unfortunately, he had a rough go in that World Series. He only appeared in games two and four, both of which were losses to the Oakland A's. But he didn't concede a run in 2.2 innings. So for his part, he did pretty well. 1990, he's still with the Giants and has more off-field struggles. His son Cody was suffering from leukemia, so he left the team for a portion of the season. Cody had ups and downs, but he recovered from leukemia and is still doing well to this day. On the field, Steve only had 17 saves and had an ERA over four for the first time since 1981, and his strikeouts were way down as well. This was the first time since 1981 that he walked more batters than he struck out. But due to his off-the-field difficulty, Steve was given the Willie Mack Award in 1990, presented to the most inspirational player on the Giants. This is our second Willie Mack winner after Benito Santiago. Unfortunately, after that season, well, maybe fortunately, Steve was traded to the Twins. He wasn't expected to be their full-time closer as they had Rick Aguilera, but he made 56 appearances and went 5-3 and three with six saves as the Twins made it to the playoffs. He gets a chance to pitch in the ALCS. He faces nine batters, didn't give up a single run as the Twins earned a spot in the World Series in 1991. In the series, Steve had two scoreless appearances in losses in games three and four. And then in game five, with the Twins down seven to three, he inherited two runners, allowed them to score, and gave up two more. So he left the game down 11-3. Luckily for Steve, in games that he did not participate in, Game six and seven, the Twins win. Steve earns a World Series ring, so that's great. That's that's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. he's still a big part of the team, even if. Oh yeah, fifty six appearances in in the regular season, a big part of this team, and and ate up a lot of innings in, for that Twins team. That almost was Steve's last season. He had some health issues, and he started experiencing numbness in his hand. He was throwing in the 80s now, and he decided it was maybe time to to hang him up. So he goes back to his farm in Georgia, and doctors tell him that stress and tobacco maybe contributed to this numbness. So he gives up tobacco and time on the farm, along with Cody's leukemia being in remission, helped ease some of that stress, and the numbness subsided. So it may have been a, a mental issue. It may have been a... Um, combination of stress and and a physical ailment but he starts feeling much better and gets invited to try out for Atlanta so there's just a break in his baseball reference where 1992 is blank yeah 1993 he's 35 years old 
He makes the team for the Braves, and he has a really good season, 5-2 and two in 49 games, a 1.63 ERA, That's- which is an ERA plus of 248. So two and a half times better than the average ERA in the in the league that season. And particularly for a slightly older pitcher in limited innings. So he comes in for 49 games, pitches really only an inning per game. 1994, pitches in another 46 games, 3.33 ERA. So not quite as sterling as that 1993 performance. 95, that ERA rises to six and Steve finally calls it a day at age 37. He does get another World Series ring, even though he was not on the team that won the 1995 World Series. He was not on the playoff roster, but they did vote him a share of the win bonus, and he got a ring. Congrats to Steve getting a second World Series ring. Calls it a career after 14 seasons. So closing the book on Steve Bedrosian's career, 76-79 and 79 record, 184 saves, striking out 921 batters in 1,191 innings. What did he do in retirement? Early on, he was uh, a pitching coach for Atlanta's rookie league team. He owns a large farm, as we said before, and he raised five kids, four sons and one daughter. And he was elected to the local school board, serving on the Coweta County Board of Education until 2010. So Steve is still living in Georgia. One of his sons, Cam, has put together a solid Major League Baseball career. He was a 2010 first-round draft pick, so where Steve was a third-round pick, his son Cam, first-rounder. And he's played parts of eight seasons, appearing in more than 300 games as a pitcher. An interesting note, so September 24th, Cam Bedrosian's pitching for Philadelphia. Cam gave up a single to Cabrian Hayes. So Steve Bedrosian's son gave up a hit to Charlie Hayes' son 32 years after the fathers were traded for one another. (laughs) Is a pretty neat note. And something that really the 1988 Tops podcast is perfect for because all these guys are now have kids who are old enough to play. (laughs) Cam is also a cat lover. There's a story in The Athletic in 2018 that he had to rescue his cat from a tree. His cat, Maverick, was 60 feet up in an oak tree. And Cam calls the fire department and the fire department is like, we don't. We don't actually do that. (laughs) And so Cam and his dad rented a bucket lift and got up in the tree to save a cat. So Steve Bedrosian and his son saved a cat from a tree. So they're basically American heroes. They are for sure. So sounds like Maverick was... Right in the danger zone. Glad that they could could save him. A good story. And knowing he's a cat lover, that makes him even better guy. So while we spent some time talking about how Steve Bedrosian maybe didn't deserve to win a Cy Young, that doesn't mean that we don't love Steve here. We love all the cards. They're all good cards. And this one is particularly fun, I think, because Phillies fans remember him so fondly that multiple people suggested this card. Similar to Steve Jeltz, Phillies uh, <laughs> fans have, you know, unique tastes, let's say. And Steve got maybe the greatest honor in that he was referenced in Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> in an episode where 
the character the main characters are looking for the big toy around Christmas time they go to a toy store and they say well where do you keep the secret stash of toys you know like for Mike Schmidt like if Mike Schmidt were to come into the store for, for one of these toys you know you got a stash back there and they said what and the guy says who is Mike Schmidt who's Mike Schmidt Bro, have some respect <laughs> here, man. What are you talking about? I don't know who Mike Schmidt is. You've never heard of Mike All right, Schmidt. Easy, dude. Don't lose 12 your 12-time cool. All-Star, three-time baseball MVP. Maybe he doesn't know. I don't buy it for one second, dude. Yeah, but maybe he's never He's heard. the all-time leading home run hitter, No, he's dude. not the all-time leading home well, run hitter. for white guys, he he's is. He's not even for white guys. Babe Ruth's got Next more Next, you're going to tell me you don't know who Von Hayes is or dude. Steve Bedrock Petrosian. I don't maybe buy it, Maybe he's not bitch. a baseball he's fan, He's lying. Go get me one. Don't lose your cool, He's lying, dude. He's got back there. Von Hayes walks in. Here you got one for Von Hayes. Dude, nobody knows who Von Hayes is. Man, relax. Thank you to Mike and thank you to Scotty for suggesting Steve Bedrosian. This was a fun trip into Philadelphia sports history. Absolutely. And we would love more requests. You can email us. Our email address is 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. And if you've ever played for a coach named Porky, we would definitely love to hear from you on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. 